Um, I'm going to pray for us, and what we're going to do tonight, because I know you're all with bated breath, what did we decide to do? We're going to do rolls tonight, tackle the rolls. Next week, I thought we'd either hit uh, sexual intimacy or conflict and communication, but that's kind of the way we're going to go. One or the other is going to be next week. And I, I'm going to try to get on top of things and get some folks up here for the last one, at least to have some more interaction with other others in marriage. Maybe like, you know, do a Joe Rogan thing and just ask questions of some folks. Um, all right, so let's pray um, and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you uh, that you do love us literally back to life again, and, and we thank you that you speak us back to life again. Um, we need you. Apart from you, we are nothing. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Uh, so thank you that um, with you, we can do all things um, through Christ who strengthens us. So even now, would you help us wake up? Would you help us uh, move the fog out of our minds and hearts? Would you give us clarity? Would you give us enlightenment? Would you give us spiritual wisdom and understanding and uh, strengthen us in our hearts so that um, we actually will and desire good things? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've looked at, started last week, we looked at the meaning of marriage. Just a small task correct? And so we were trying to find uh, what's the, the rock that marriage sits on and not sand, if we're to use Jesus's metaphor of the house. We were trying to find what the engine of marriage was as opposed to lack of fuel in marriage, right? Um, and so we said things like, uh, you know, here are some of the options that we might have mentioned. Um, what is the rock? What's the meaning of marriage? The engine of marriage? Is it being a soulmate? Finding your soulmate? Is that it? You, you know, Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Uh, is it that? Does anybody know Jerry Maguire movie? Okay, just making sure. Um, is it the rock and the engine, the meaning of marriage being best friends? Uh, is it being lovers? Is it sex? Romance? Is it compatibility? You know, your Enneagram mate. The, you know, the whatever, the one that completes you. Just on a side note, um, Nancy and I are like, if you have opposites, there are opposites. But then if you have polar opposites, there are polar opposites. But then if you're like way off the charts and extreme in one personality and way off the charts and extreme in the other personality, you have Nancy and I. When we took all the... Uh, you know, when you go to church planning, they literally put you on a table, you and your wife, and they dissect you and put you, take you apart and put you back together again to see if you are gifted and called to be a church planner. And um, when they looked at all the tests that you have to take beforehand, that they examine their interviews, they sat us down very concerned, the people that were doing the church planning thing, and they're like, oh, you know, you, you guys are like, extreme opposites and we're like uh-huh <laughs> we, we know that but very concerned because we are so polar opposites so you know for many people we should never have gotten married it's not the foundation right it's not the meaning of marriage the meaning of marriage is finding someone that you're compatible with 
someone that completes you, right? Okay, so that's not it. Is it children? Is the meaning of marriage children? Is it financial security, material um, benefits? Is it uh, you love me, <laughs> right? Is that the meaning of marriage? Someone loves me. Someone accepts me. Someone loves me. Is it um, a trophy husband? Well, you know, the perfect person? Is it meet your needs? I mean, what is it, right? Some of the other options were makes you happy, makes you feel good about yourself, gives you a good self-image. Is that the meaning of marriage? Is it gives you purpose in life? Is that the meaning of marriage? Or how about you're finally um, yourself with this person? You know, you've discovered yourself, right? Okay, we know none of those things are the meaning of marriage. In fact, all of those are sand, even though they're good things. And even though they might be like good gifts that, come alongside marriage. Um, the ultimate meaning of marriage that we wanted to establish last week is that God brought you together, that marriage is a work that God does. He brings you together. He does the work. So be married. So go enjoy marriage. So go learn to communicate Go learn to be best friends. Go learn to be lovers. Go learn to whatever, which we're going to look at today, the biblical roles of the husband and wife are. Go do these things. Go do them. Uh, you don't make yourself one. You don't make the marriage. God did. He did it. He did the work. And because he did, man, what freedom. What what, uh, where are your emotions going to come from? What's going to be the engine? What's going to be the rock? What is going to be the meaning of your marriage if it's not that? And we talked about how uh, many times uh, when you, you find your meaning in a soulmate or compatibility or whatever, and you get devastated when they're not like you or they're not who you thought they were, or I'm, I don't love the person like I used to love the person, you know, all that stuff right, can bring and does bring marriages down uh, because they made those things or thought those things were the meaning of marriage. And I mentioned last time how I have many times that I've had couples come to me and say, I just don't, you know, I just don't love that person anymore when they're sitting on opposite sides of the chairs in the room. And I say, and so, right? Oh, oh, you're telling me <laughs> your feelings of love for that person is the meaning of marriage. Oh, I forgot. Okay, you're telling me that's the rock and the engine of marriage. And what if, though, that's not? You have hope. If there's something else, now if God brings you together, what if feelings come out of that? See how this works? This is the ultimate meaning of marriage. And it's what we're given in Genesis. For this reason, what's the reason? This mysterious thing that God's doing and bringing two people together. And he makes them one. And it's his work. He does it. So what does that mean? I just started thinking, so how would that apply to like dating? How would that apply to like courtship? How would that apply to whatever the latest and newest way or you know, the 10 ways to find your perfect spouse. How would it apply to all those things? 
See, what ends up happening is that God will do whatever he's going to do. For me, he, he took Nancy from uh, Dallas, Texas, and me, I was working as a campus minister at Brown University, and she had this, before she was even a Christian, she had this passion for, this interest, this, this insatiable passion for Russian people. Who has that? And then I'm over here in Brown, and all of a sudden, he brings us to the former Soviet Union to bring us together. So I could have wrote a book on 10 ways to find your perfect spouse, right, based on my experience. And then some folks date a certain way, and then they, they think, this is how it happens. And then some folks do courtship, and they say, this is how it happens. And some folks, right, what is the newest and latest today? I don't know. You know, uh, dating apps, I don't know what it is. But we'll say that's it. No, the bottom line is God brought you together. And he'll use whatever he's going to use to do that. A multiplicity of ways. Maybe it's dating. Maybe if it's a dating app. Maybe it's courtship. Maybe it's an arranged marriage. You see how this works? He and his work supersedes everything. So if you think you can write a book on how he does it, have at it. But if you see anyone writing books on how to find the perfect spouse or how to find your spouse or how to do that, don't even waste your money. All right. Okay. Any questions on that before we move on to our topic tonight? That no one will have questions about any of the things that we will be looking at tonight. Any thoughts, comments? Are we good? All right. So that's the meaning of marriage. What's the meaning of marriage? God brought you together. He did the work. What great hope. What great freedom. What great possibilities. What great expectancies. What Fill it in. I mean, good night. Anything can be recovered. Anything can, you know, it's, it's, it's all the hope in the world. It's all the spiritual resources in the world are in that. All the rock you need is in that. All the engine, fuel for your marriage is in that. Outside of that is sand. Outside of that is lack of fuel. You'll ride on your personality tests and whatever lesser things you think it's going to be, but eventually you'll run out of gas. More like you'll run out of gas. Okay? All right, so let's go to our true and false. True and false for tonight. Get ourselves warmed up. Get ourselves thinking, get the mind moving, the heart moving. Here we go. You ready? True or false means you say true or you say false. And then I say back it up. You might want to say a couple of things. You might want to say nothing. You just have this feeling that it's false and you don't know why. That's fine with me. But you got to make a decision. There's no such thing as true false. It's either true or false. There's no combination. You ready? Here we go. There are no differences between male and female. Man, these people are like, okay. So you're saying false pretty, pretty convincingly. Stephen, let's start with you. Biologically, there's differences. That's most basic, right? Anybody else? False. Why? Our minds work differently. Oh, so who's smarter? No, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't? No. Dadgum. 
Interesting, interesting. Very good. Okay, anybody else? False for why? Yes. On boys. Yeah. So interesting. You try to raise them intuitively, right? Like you would. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's so good. All right, what about anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All right, next question. There are no differences in the roles between husband and wife. There are no differences in the roles between husband and wife. All right, false. Okay, why? Let's go with that. Don't feel like you have to have like a thesis on this. Just maybe, you know, an upper level thing that comes to your mind first. What's that? It seems like there are different roles in the Bible. Yeah. There seems to be a difference, right? Yes, John. No sense. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So interesting. Yes. Anybody else? False. Or true. Is there true? Uh, there are no there are no differences in the roles between husband and wife. True. Okay, next one. Wives must submit to their husbands. <laughs> you didn't think I was gonna touch this one, did you? No, no. Uh, I, no! That is not. You know the rules of true and false. You may not ask me to clarify anything that I am saying. Yes. That's good. Yes. Excellent. I like it. You're brave. You stepped out there, Amanda. Good. Good. What else? How do you, how, wives must submit to their husbands, true or false? Those words, oh, beautiful. Hey, that, that's a fist bump, dude. Those words are in the Bible. Fantastic. I love that. 
I'm going to remember that one. Hey, man, those words are in the Bible. Daphne? False? Explain it. Say it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. Excellent. All right, you ready for the next one, or do you want to stick with this one? Y'all want to marinate in this one because this is such a popular one. Yeah, this is like, yeah, we're all uncomfortable enough right now. Let's just say it's in the Bible. All right, uh, husbands must love their wives. Oh, uh, why is this one so easy? Why, why? Why is this so much easier? <laughs> it's in the Bible. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? All that is so, it's in the Bible. <laughs> Anybody want to comment on this? All right, here's the next one. It only takes one spouse to change a marriage. It only takes one spouse, to, I'll put it in theological words, one spouse to sanctify a marriage, to redemptively transform a marriage. It only takes one spouse. Cheater, cheater, cheater. That, that's in the Bible too, that's it. Yeah, okay, but why? Why is that? Why would you say true? Hagar? You talking about um, Hosea and Hosea? Yeah, Gomer, Gomer, yes, yes. No, 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 I'm, I, because. Yeah, I mean, he's just going after, going after the same thing, but he's just going after the same thing. Like, it took one and that story, but it took one and that story. Yeah, yeah, it took one and that story. Very good. Oh, now that's interesting. It's in the Bible. Very interesting. Anybody else? What, what does that, what does that make you think about? If this is true, what does that make you, what do you think of first when you hear that? Do you hear hope or do you hear defeat? Do you hear, what do you hear? Disbelief? Good. All right, you ready for the next one? Uh, submission means the wife must obey her husband. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just can't help. Submission means a wife must obey her husband.
like it really. Yeah. Anybody else feel like there's a, something you need to say on this angle? Keep going, Elizabeth. <laughs> it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Very good. All right, how about love means the husband must give his wife what she wants? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's so interesting. Okay, if you know these next ones, I feel sorry for you, but it's okay. The egalitarian view. Has anybody ever heard of that? The egalitarian view of the roles of men and women is most biblical. If you know this, if you know those words, you can comment, obviously. Because the egalitarian view, I'm just, these are the, the language that's being spoken today about male and female roles and differences, just so you know, in the evangelical world. There's what's called the egalitarian view and the complementarian view. And then there's a feminist view. Okay, so if you're hearing these for the first time, God bless you. You actually are doing much better than the rest of us. Um, so is the egalitarian view the right way or is the complementarian view the right way? Just to throw out there that obviously not everyone, everyone, these two views both say it's in the Bible, but they both say it's in the Bible differently. Interesting, right? Interesting. That's a good way. Yeah. Jillian, what were you saying? Yeah. Oh. I'm going to ask my wife. Yeah. I know. So even when we're coming into this discussion, just to help us, like, get a grasp of it, um, there's a doctrine of this. That, that, may or, that these views may or may not approximate. And then there's the application of this that these views all disagree on and overlap on. Isn't that interesting? So even as we move into this discussion, we're going to need to like figure out what is legit statements of reality. And when I say statements of reality, I'm saying another word for doctrine and theology. Just want us to think a little bit different about it because sometimes we talk doctrine and talk theology like it's, it's this flippant thing. Like you can just toss these words around as if they don't matter and everybody can put a label on them. What doctrine and theology is trying to do is communicate reality. Got it? It's interpreting reality. So when a, an egalitarian view comes along, they're trying to interpret reality for you. When a complementarian view comes along, they're trying to interpret reality for you. What's interesting about all the views, however, is that there's a, a doctrine or an interpretation. That's one thing, one mountain. That's like Mount Everest. And then there's another Mount Everest that people overlook, and that's the applications of those things. And these applications may or may not be 
good inferences from the doctrine. These applications might just be cultural. Especially applications that claim to be biblical. Just let that tease around for a little bit. Larry. Wildcat. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah. Interesting. This is really good. This is really good. I just had did a premarital class, uh, a premarital session, and this was the couple's last time, and we got to roles and, and sexual intimacy, and it was so interesting that um, we were trying to, I was just trying to push into the biblical role, right, at a certain level of an interpretation of reality. Um, and then once we started putting them into practice is when things get a little interesting, right? Because what's happening here is, well, we're going to look at this. Are there, yeah, we're going to say there are at the bare minimum, right? There are male, female differences, right? At some level, there's male, female differences, right? Just physically, anatomically, right? There are personalities, Now, these are major silos, right? major silos. And then there are biblical roles. That's a lot to take in this whole discussion. Because the person that I was talking to, the, the, the future wife is a type A person. And the husband is not a type A person. I have two daughters that are type A. So how does it how does how does that work in all this? You see how this is really, really important because most discussions of this end up being this or this. And then we can add applications application of what is considered to be biblical role. But there are three different views, four different views, five different views of it's in the Bible. <laughs> is there any wonder 
that everybody's losing their mind. The church loses its mind in this stuff. The culture loses its mind in this stuff, right? But we are going to go back, and we're going to look at, like, the text we looked at last week, and we are going to look at creation, and we are going to look at what God uh, has in the Bible, and we're going to walk away with some stuff that's going to be incredibly helpful that cuts across male, female, personality, and we're not even looking at application yet. But if we're able to do this tonight and find a legit biblical role for a husband and a wife and attempt to see it embodied concretely in certain ways and certain aspects that cut across circumstances, that cut across culture, that cut across personality, right? That'd be very interesting. And to be able to separate, I'm going to add one more, cultural realities. That's a lot to navigate, but that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to tease out what this is from all the rest. Okay? All right, so let's do this. Do I have anything else? Any other? Oh, yeah, I wanted to do this just for fun. Just for fun. Just because we want to have fun. Uh, a woman can do whatever a, non-man, whatever a non-ordained man can do in the church. Just for fun, and here's the other one. Um, Biblical roles for husband and wife in the Christian home and for men and women in the church also apply in the civil realm. These are just for fun, so we can have some fun. Because this is the kind of the world that I operate in. You know, it, it always goes to this kind of fun stuff. So a woman can do whatever a non-ordained man can do in the church. What can a woman do in the church? You know how many times I've been asked that? You know how many times in 20-some-odd years... I've had people walk out. I've had a, I had a whole family walk out one time because a woman was reading scripture in the worship service. And I was so glad to see them go. <laughs> I was like, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. Go in peace, go where you can be holy and happy. Um, so what can, what can a woman do in church? Just because we need to think about this. And then we need to think about, well, gum. you know, does, does what God say for the home, whatever this biblical role is, and for the church, whatever he says those roles are, do they also apply at Aetna? Or Margaret Thatcher? Probably the best leader in the Western world in a long time. Was she out of line, according to the Bible? This is so fun. Okay, let's move on. We will hopefully try to tackle some of that stuff. Um, what are, here's, yes, what are the top gender role issues, problems in marriage today? Let's just talk about whatever this is. What are the top issues here? Top problems for biblical 
roles for men and women in a marriage. Let's just start with marriage. You know, I'm going to ask you, uh, what are they in the culture? And I'm going to ask you, what are they in the church? But let's start with marriage. What are the the gender role issues, problems do you struggle with in marriage? What what are they? What do we struggle with here? What are some? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So culturally, the issue of uh, workplace, good. Oh, yeah. Okay, does this apply um, uh, in the church and marriage? Maybe there might be different. So is this, is this an issue for the church and for marriage? Yes. Okay, let's do, the, uh, yeah, this is not as helpful as I thought it was going to be now that I'm looking at it. <laughs> let's try it this way. Let's think about, let's not, I, I, I wanted to get specific. Let's not even get specific. When we're talking about uh, the roles, the biblical roles of a man or a woman in marriage, um, what are the top problems that come up? What are the top issues in it, like what are, where is all the discussion happening? We know of one. We might as well just say it. Whatever this word submission means, right? So one issue, one top problem, if it is, is trying to figure out, you know, either we punt or we try to tackle it, right? This is usually what happens. Well, it's in the Bible, and then that's as far as we're going to go. Whatever that means, submission, subordination. Uh, Elizabeth, you said, what was it? I thought it was really good. Giving, right? Okay, so this is obviously part of some of the top issues in gender roles. What else? What are some top issues in gender roles? Could be in the church, could be in a marriage, could be in the culture. What are the top issues? Well, today, I mean, in the culture, it's like... Is there a gender? Right? Like anatomically, is there a gender? What else? What are some gender role issues, problems, the top ones today? Yeah, leadership, good. I want to go something. So, submission, leadership, what else? Oh, my word. Yeah, okay, so headship, all these, this language, yeah. Headship, leadership, submission, what else? What other things circle around here? Maybe this is it. What? Oh, yeah, good, good, equality, yes. All right, all right, good, equality. Vision, nurture, and it's just kind of we get start moving into some 
I mean, do we, I mean, everyone thinks the Proverbs 31 talks about a woman, right? Which is still debatable, honestly. Um, but if it is, because it seems to talk in terms of a woman, talks about her in the workplace. So that's always interesting to me. You know, for those that like to use certain arguments for that not to be the case. And poor, poor, what was Luther's wife's name, honey? Kate? Yeah. Katie, she was unbelievable. Like, she brought in the bacon. Big time, right? All right, so provision, nurture. What are some other issues? Maybe this is it. I don't know. Is there any others? I mean, if it doesn't come up to us, if we have to dig for it, we don't need to dig for it. I just want to, because I want to address these. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of books like Men Are From Mars or Women or whatever that stuff. How far do we go with that, right? I'll keep teasing it out because there might be something in there. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna try to cover these. All right, how about this? Um, how do we know? This is what I want to do, and then we're gonna look at try to resolve some things. How do we know whether a gender role is biblical or cultural or personality or personal preference? I can tell you that most. In the early days of this church, the people that usually get attracted to Reformed churches have a certain bent to them. And most of the ladies that were originally coming had a personal preference of what a woman looked like that had nothing to do with the Bible. So imagine the fun I had telling them that. I don't think they're here anymore, are they? All right, so what is it? What, what is, what's biblical? What's cultural? How do, you, how do you know what's biblical versus cultural versus personality versus personal preference? Yes. All right, explain. Like, yeah. Good, that's exactly what we're going to do. Okay, we're going to do that. But we're also going to know there's going to be a lot of disagreement, possibly, possibly on the applications of these things. But if we do stick to the text and try to, as best we can, understand whatever the text is saying about the gender roles of a husband and wife, maybe possibly a gender distinction between male and female, maybe, right? Whatever we're going to look at is important. And it's important to know that most of the controversies going on are cultural, personality, applications, and personal preferences. Just file that. So when, when there's controversies going on in a church, see if you can find if a church is battling over this because... I don't, know of, I don't know of a single church that hasn't. Um, 
see and listen for those themes as opposed to, they're going to tell you it's a biblical role. But what you're really going to find out, it's usually an application, a personality, a cultural thing. Okay? All right, let's do this. We've got 15 minutes. Let's tackle this. What clues? We're going to do the same thing we did last week for the clues for the meaning of marriage. What clues can we find about the roles of marriage from these passages that we're going to look at? So it's all free game. Everybody just shoot in what you think is a clue. Here's the first one. So we're going to go to Genesis 1. We're going to look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what clues to the roles of marriage are found here? Yeah, there we go, male and female. Both created in his image. Excellent. So this is a creation thing, right? This is a, you know, it's like God created gravity. It's real, right? We, we either live by gravity or we try to fly, and it doesn't work out too well for us when we do that. It's the same thing. So even in whatever this role is, it's rooted in creation. It's rooted in reality. That's good. That's good stuff. Male, female is reality. It's gravity. It's good. It's packed with God's glory. It images, reflects him. He sees himself in it. He sees himself in a female. He sees himself in a male. That the female, he gave concentrations of his glory to a female that he did not give to a male and concentrations of his glory to a male that he did not give to a female does it mean that they're less no he just he wanted to spread his glory around and have aspects of his glory reflected uniquely in a male and uniquely in a female that's breathtaking that's wonderful that's beautiful that's reality right so what is gender? I mean, this is the big question, though, right? What is gender? What is male? What is female? What is it? Well, here's what we need to know about it. God created it. Now we have to fill it in. How much do we fill in what a male is and what a female is? Well, we can go physically, anatomically. We can add some more, right? How far do we go with what is a male and what is a female? We go as far as the Bible goes. So we want to be careful when people start being really, really dogmatic about here's what a male does, here's what a female does, here's how you apply it, whether this is actually coming from Scripture or whether this is coming from something else. Okay? All right, next. Verse 28. So we might as well continue. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What clues do we have here about the biblical roles of husband and wife, or marriage, or male and female are found here in this passage? Verse 28. Oh, my word. That's a fantastic observation. 
I feel like I saw that for the first time today when I was preparing this. Sometimes I think the Bible teacher thinks he's only talking to the man. Who's supposed to be fruitful? Them. Who's supposed to multiply? Them. Who's supposed to rule and have lordship and kingship and be a queen and a king? Them. Who is this passage? So we're getting like the mission, the mission and purpose of a life is happening here, rooted in creation. And it's given to both. That's huge. Absolutely huge. So who does what here? Them. Who does what? Them. What's going on? Them. Them, them, them. Huge. Let's keep going. Let's go to uh, 2.18. So the key word in verse 28 is them. The key word in verse 27 is male and female. So do you feel very confident right now about filling a lot of stuff in? Can you go write a book now on the biblical roles of men and women right now? Then how come there are so many? Most of them are applications, cultural, personality. Right. Then the Lord God said, 2.18, it is not good that the man should be alone. So I will make him an azed. Okay? An azed. A helper. I'm going to say azed because it's the Hebrew. Helper is a translation. It's an interpretation. The word azed is used throughout the Old Testament for God as he rescues and saves and delivers Israel and fights for them over and over and over again. That's why we said last week, as a warrior princess, yes, a warrior princess, a warrior deliverer, that the wife, the helper, whatever the Azad does is that the Azad actually gives strength and power and deliverance to her husband. That's huge. Okay, so... Um, and fit for him is very interesting. I looked it up as well. Uh, it's in front of, in the side of, opposite to. So it's this fit for him. It's like he's looking at someone. He's looking at himself, but it's himself differently. He's different. It's interesting, the Hebrew. Uh, it's actually uh, adverbial, a preposition. It's just thought that was fascinating. 19. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave the name to all livestock, birds of the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him, an azed. There was not an azed for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon a man. While he slept, he took one of the ribs, closed it up in its place. Uh, with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And now these are the first, again, these are the first words of a human being ever recorded, and it's a song, a love song. So what even there 
does that tell you about a biblical role even there? Whatever these biblical roles are, it's a love song. So whatever the husband's supposed to do, it's wrapped in rapturous love, right? Whatever that means. Therefore, and here's the mystery, right? This is that great work. A man shall leave his father, his mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. The man and his wife are both naked. We're not ashamed. So what clues do we have here about the biblical roles of marriage, man and woman? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's naming them. That's right. What else? Other than naming the children. Yeah. So how does oneness help us understand the biblical roles of marriage? Because that's part of here. That's a clue. How does that inform this? Yeah, Paul's going to use this same argument in Ephesians. So right away, we can say this. It's not necessarily answering it, but it just helps us push towards it a little bit more. Becoming one, it means you're not two individuals, right? Everybody gets that. It's not a roommate thing, right? Uh, it, it also means it's not a codependency thing, right? It's not one person swallowing up the other, which happens. And even in people, some of the biblical, quote, biblical views of manhood or womanhood, it's in, in the doctrine it has the husband swallowing up the wife. He becomes the controller, right? So it's not a codependent relationship where the, the, the husband rules and the, and the wife bows down to the husband or gets absorbed into the husband. Or it's not the husband getting absorbed into the wife, right? It's actually two become one new thing a one flesh thing, a one body thing, to form one new creation. It's not absorption, and it's not roommates. Interesting. Okay, so we'll get to some applications. We'll, we're going to, yeah, we'll, we'll get to some applications. Let's do that. Yes. Yeah, so we're, hit, we're hitting theology, and then we're going to, let's talk about, once we piece this together, we have time. I'll certainly do it next week. We'll, let's tackle some of those applications. Okay, I'm going to keep going. You go to Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. He might sanctify her, having cleansed the washing water. All right, we've, we've heard this. And isn't it interesting that he goes down and quotes Genesis, what we just looked at, right? This mystery of God bringing two people together. And then he calls this a mystery, but he was talking about Christ and the church. Uh, so what clues do we have? Here's the clues that I'm, I'm just going to single out just for sake of time and for us to chew on. Each, whatever the biblical role is for man and woman, each, the wife and the husband, each get to play the Savior in a different way. 
So the, the wife plays the savior because remember, when, when God designed marriage, he did so with the gospel in mind. This is like freaky. This is like whenever God had designed marriage in Genesis, he had the relationship between Jesus and you and me and the church in mind. And so marriage carries stamped within it the DNA or the pattern, the artifacts, the glory of the gospel in it. It's not the gospel, but it, it carries a, an embedded fingerprint of it. It carries the architectural designs of it in it, which is kind of crazy, isn't it? So each spouse, the, the wife, uh, becomes this warrior princess, becomes this warrior deliverer that whatever the submission means, it means giving strength and power and deliverance to the husband. Whatever it means. Whatever um, leading headship means, according to this, remember the whole point was um, the Jews wanted Jesus to lead a certain way. They wanted him to take it. Right? In fact, Jesus said to Pilate, because Pilate was saying, well, why don't you, if you're a king, why aren't you taking it? And he goes, I could if I wanted to. I could come and call down the angels right now. But my kingship, my uh, leading, looks like actually laying down my life, as Paul says. So whatever role the husband is playing and playing the Savior, his leading, his headship, looks like emptying himself to fill his wife. So whatever, however we're defining Headship and leadership. Notice that it's, it's a self-giving love that he spends himself so that she could get full, rich. He empties himself so she can fill up. He becomes poor so she can become rich. So you got to ask yourself when you start applying now headship, leadership, and submission that if your applications fit that, do the cultural applications fit that? Do the church applications fit that? And I guarantee you, you will see and I will see throughout church history in the church, in the home, uh, in the culture that it has more to do with um, personal preferences that are bent by sin has more to do with control. Leadership has more to do with control than it does with what is being talked about in the Bible. And submission has more to do with being controlled than it does with what it means in the Bible. So when we do get to talking about practicalities and applications, um, are we in a, a, a patriarchy system, which was about control and interpreting these things in a crazy way? 
or is it in an egalitarian way, or is it in a complementarian way, or is it in a feminist way, or what's called a liberal way? What's interesting is you probably will find a little bit in each of them. Just fascinating to me. Okay, we're going to run out of time here. So that's what I, I want us to go in. I want us to go with, I think what's so important is that whatever the biblical role is, whatever these, these words that are attached to the woman and these in headship. I know you gave, oh, you gave me this. Over there, I'll just use this. Thank you. Headship, whatever this is, it's, it's playing an aspect of the Savior's work, his role. Each of them are a pattern of the gospel, which that means is we each get to play the Savior in the relationship. We have that pattern. We have that mirror. We have that glory. Does that make sense? Knowing that the role is patterned on the gospel eliminates a lot of junk. A lot of it. A lot of it in our applications, a lot of it that's rooted in culture, a lot of it that's rooted in sin, and yada, 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 yada. Okay? All right. Let's take a couple questions, even though I'm going over and Emma's going to be mad at me. But I'll take a couple questions. And maybe we can get a little more specific next week before we look at communication and conflict or sexual intimacy. So, can I give you one? Uh, spiritual leadership, headship. Um, many tend to think this is the role of decision making, right? Is that biblical? Is the, is the husband the only one that can make a decision in the, in the relationship? That's a good question, right? It might be, it might be that the ultimate responsibility of the ultimate direction of things that are happening that are needing to be made, it might mean that that's what the leadership means. But how the person leads might be like radically different than some constructs of what leadership looks like. Because what does it look like to actually self-give to lift the other up and empower the other as a leader. Would it look like listening? Would it look like collaborating and discussing and lots of communication about whatever's going on in the life of the family, the relationship, uh, uh, vocation, calling, uh, this team of Frodo and Sam and yet lovers on this journey, right? to go home to the final journey that God gave you to together to make this journey, what would that look like? Does it look like ultimatums? Does it look like, hey, listen, if, if the buck stops with me, sweetie, we're doing this. Is that what it looks like? I know, right? It wouldn't look like that. So it's good to think through what it might look like. So for us, it would look like lots of conversation, and, I, and, I, and it would look like um, maybe by personality, I am the type A, so I will naturally see more decisions that need to be made 
than, the, than Nancy will, right? But that's more a function of personality. Like, for instance, another type A, if, if you're the type A, if you're a woman and you're the type A, you're naturally going to see more decisions that need to be made than your husband. So that can't be just a function of being a man, personality, right? But how this dynamic plays itself out might be some function. Like maybe uh, you've set up as the, as the servant leader, you've set up a culture that's so approachable. It's so easy. It's so safe, right? That your kids have the freedom to interject and tell you what they think. They don't get a crossway. I'm, I'm the damn leader. What are you talking about, kids? Right? But the culture is such a emptying to fill others up. Everyone has the freedom to actually be themselves, be their personality, say what they think, participate. You see how different this could look and does look if that's the case? And then let's say, let's talk about... Um, Let's talk about uh, submission. I mean, what does that radically look like? Um, what does it look like to the, the husband who's struggling with a certain thing, maybe at work, that the, the wife's now aware of? Uh, what would that look like? I mean, do you see how this could look completely more gospel-like and more healthy and no one's playing the trump card of submit and headship, the way it's usually played today. Like the whole workplace thing and the whole like, um, well, who, who, maybe the couple is wrestling through which one has the, uh, the gifts and has the opportunity and the desire to be nurturing or providing. Does nurture always go with the, the wife? No. I don't see that in the Bible, do you? Uh, is nurture a part of submission? Is nurture a part of leadership, or can it be both? Is providing part of only leadership? Can provision be here? I thought if this is, if this is a, a warrior princess, that seems to be giving the dude strength. Do you see, anyhow, trying to expand our thinking, check the culture stuff, check the, the agendas of church cultures, other cultures. We're, we're saying there are differences, because the Bible does. We're saying that each person gets to play the Savior. We're saying that this leadership is a reality. Um, this way of playing the Savior is a reality. This way of playing the Savior is a reality. How does it work? Um, if you'll notice, the Bible really doesn't give you a lot of application. It just says it. That's why we're all like, oh, does it look like, well, it just says it. And then it says things like, all things do this. Right? Submit to your husband in all things. Okay, okay, so what about what? So whatever this 
playing the Savior, it means, yeah, you're supposed to play the Savior in all areas of your relationship. Well, what about the husband leading and being, yep, you're supposed to do that in all aspects of the relationship? Oh, yeah. Amen, go in peace. So fun. <laughs>